Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. All right, Lloyd. Well, kid. What's the crack? Great day for the washing. Holy God. I'm a busy mom. I hear. Would you be well? Jesus, I was plastered last night. Oh. Ma. Yeah. Jesus, I've a head on me like a robber's dog. No harm, no foul. Well, hello there, Chiaquitch. Connoisseur what is the story? How are you getting on? What's the crack? All that jazz. This is the Tis Yourself podcast and Tis Myself, Nicola Barden. And if this is your first time ever tuning in, well, gee, any Mac, I'm glad to have you here. It's great to welcome you. But obviously, my faves are the people who keep coming back for more. So maybe that'll be you. Maybe you'll enjoy this episode and you'll enjoy some of our older ones too. If it is your first time, well, let me just explain to you all about Tis Yourself. So this is my little brainchild of having some chats with some celebs and some famous people and some interesting people and different connections to, I suppose, the showbiz world and about finding out about what made them famous and what made them well known in our lives and how it affected them, how they got there, all that kind of jazz. So it's a very informal chat. You know, I'm not reading from a script. Um, You know, I'm not going, oh, you can't talk about this, this and this. And I don't really go in with any preconceived ideas of what I want to talk about. I kind of just go and see how the conversation flows with each person. Um, So over the past couple of months, we've had people like, you know, Hollywood actor Jerry O'Connell was on with me. Then you've got Shane Ward from The X Factor, Edel Lynch from Bewitched, Montana Brown from Love Island. So kind of touching on a lot of different areas and it's been it's been really good. Um, I'm recording it from home um, as a lot of things are being done from home these days, aren't they? So, you know, it's I'm not in a big studio. There's not a team of production behind me. So it's just me, just little old me and my own and editing it and putting in for the guests and all that kind of stuff so honestly it means so much that you're here and I really really appreciate it and the fact that there's no big budget of advertising or anything like that behind it I did think about promoting it on Twitter the other day because you can pay to promote and I went to do it and it was 50 euro and that was the minimum so I just wasn't arsed I literally was like I'm not paying that that is a dinner out for me and whenever my I've just got my second vax so in a couple of weeks I'll be able to eat indoors and I would be kicking myself I said I can't go out because I pressed promote on Twitter and sure what if nobody ever even clicks on it then sure I would have thrown 50 euro down the drain so it's all word of mouth I suppose at the moment if you do like it please throw up an episode on your Instagram and share it and send to your friends whatever it is and of course review on iTunes but most importantly hit follow and that way you'll get to see uh, every episode every Saturday when I put them out because they always go out on a Saturday morning so my guest today is um, different from is my first politician uh, different because of course I've had celebrities and I've had celebrity agents on I had a professor from Trinity on so uh, this is my first politician and look I'm not trying to be Gav Riley I'm not trying to be Zara King or Richard Chambers or Claire Byrne I wasn't going in with this personally I I'm not saying any of those people do but personally I hate when I'm watching interviews on people kind of are listening to them you don't they don't get to answer the question you know kind of and sometimes you'll hear that on like maybe morning ireland or something that they'll be answering they'll be asked a question especially with politicians uh, and they'll be halfway through answering it and the person's like that's not what i said this isn't going to be like that so if you're looking for a big serious political chat this is not the place um i'm not a political reporter i do have uh you know my sister was a political reporter i've very limited interest in politics more like I'm interested in issues and uh, campaigning and stuff like that for the important issues but I don't support any party I kind of I've supported I've uh, voted for I think every single party separately because I've liked the person so and I'm not an anti any party at all I'm not one though I like I'm not someone who's like I hate Sinn Féin I hate Fianna Gael I hate Fianna Fáil I'm not I don't like hating collective groups so 
we don't like to do that when it's against a, a nation or a group of people so I don't like to do that myself personally for a political party I like to just kind of get to know the people what they've done for my locality and the people in my area so anyway if you are here going this is where the big questions are going to be asked um, it's not that kind of chat but having said that we do talk about direct provision we do talk about the gig economy um, we do talk about paternity leave we do talk about a lot of the issues that are that I kind of would be really interested in um, I wasn't screaming at some at, at my next guest to you know give me all the answers that's not what I did I wanted to come from this from my the way I've come from all my interviews speaking to people as, as if they're the same as you and me finding out about their lives finding out what got them there and finding out how that has changed your life. So with now, with all that being said, I am going to let the conversation take over here. And my chat this morning is with the Minister for Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science, Mr. Simon Harris. Well, listen, thanks for thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. And obviously, you know, on the podcast, I ask people how they're best known, but I suppose when you're a government <laughs> minister... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, as to how it, uh, yeah, no, nothing kind of prepares you for actually kind of becoming, well, particularly when you become the Minister for Health, I suppose. Mm. You know, all of a sudden everybody knows you and everybody has, or sorry, everybody thinks they know you and everybody <laughs> and everybody has everybody has an opinion, um, which is a good thing. But yeah, nothing can kind of prepare you for that. You know, you go from being a, somebody maybe known in your community to then somebody kind of known no matter where you kind of go around the country and that can be it's a bit odd it's lovely it's nice in many ways because you get to meet lots of nice people and you know but it takes a bit of getting used to yeah and you have to tend you have to sense the tone of the voice when someone says your name because is it going to be ah Simon or is it Simon and you're just like oh Jesus what I find all the time is people say people say hello Simon to me which is very nice but then I'm never I'm never sure do I know them or, or do they just know me? You know that sort of way. Yeah. Then I then I spend ages thinking in my head, how do I know that person? And then I'm thinking, oh no, actually I don't know me. I don't know them. I've never met them before. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they, they they just know me. Um, but yeah, no, it's lovely. You get to meet lots of different random people. That's a lovely thing about Ireland as well. Everybody says hello to everybody as well. Yeah, true. And like I suppose, like you do get a lot of abuse, but you, I, I suppose you are given a level of privacy in another sense. Yeah, I've never found the abuse. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of online trolling mm. and abuse that goes on in general and lots of people get that but but by and large with a couple of notable incidences aside like by by and large I find um, the overwhelming amount of people you meet just to be decent normal people who just you know want to say hello and have a chat and even people and you got to also remember when you are when you are in politics and particularly when you're the Minister for Health a lot of people that you're meeting they're meeting you in really difficult circumstances. So they're worried, they're worried about their own health or they're worried about the health of their mom or their dad or their kid as well. And, you know, there's a huge amount of pressure um, on them as well. So like they've every right to be frustrated as well, you know, and that's what you're there to try and help. Well, let's go back to the start. Was young Simon, did he always want to be a politician or what was like little Simon running around Wicklow? <laughs> so, so when I was 13 and I went into secondary school and you have to do one of these career projects, what do you want to be when you grow up? I did it. I wanted to be a vet. Um, because, yeah, I really like animals and uh, I always wanted to be a vet. And uh, so that was where I was meant to be. And then, then I suppose, as often happens to a lot of people, kind of life happens and that changes all your plans. So, I mean, my brother, Adam, um, was born with a form of autism, what used to be called Asperger's syndrome. And I was an opinionated, moody teenager living in Greystones in County Wicklow. And I was really frustrated and annoyed and that sometimes there was so little information out there about autism. Um, so Adam is, I think, eight years younger than me. And I saw the pressure my parents were going through. And even as a sibling as well, kind of back then, even a lot less was known about autism than is known now. So it always, no matter how many times I tell this story, it always sounds really odd when I tell it. But but it did genuine, it did happen. But maybe it says more about how, what, a, what an odd teenager I was. But I decided one night to hold a public meeting in my hometown and just to ask anybody else living with autism, um, to come along mm. and about 60 people turned up in this parish hall in Greystones on a kind of cold February night and they were all like oh yeah I have a son with autism or I have, I have autism myself or I have a brother with autism and 
and they were all living in our community. You know, we mm-hmm. so like I myself and my family felt so isolated in many ways. You know, not a lot was known about autism. We certainly didn't know a lot about it. And then all of a sudden we realized, Jesus, loads of people in our community are going through the same kind of challenges that we're going through as a family and trying to work out uh, the same issues that we're trying to work out and try to get their head around. How do you best look after your child or your brother or your sister? And that night at the meeting, we decided we'd set up a group called the, the Wicklow AAA Alliance. It was autism, ADHD and Asperger's being the three A's. And we started um, we started running little things like summer camp. So we'd, we'd hire the, the local cinema out in Greystone. So that's the cinema, by the way, that featured in Father Ted, you know, down with this sort of thing, careful Oh my God, is that where that is? Yeah, that's in Greystones. Um, that's in Greystones. But we'd hire that out because a lot of families would find it very difficult to bring their young autistic child to the cinema uh, for a whole variety of reasons. So we'd hire at the cinema, we'd arrange little kind of summer trips, we'd have public meetings with guest speakers on information. We'd try and kind of support each other and share ideas. If you had a five-year-old child with autism, there might be someone else in the group with a seven-year-old and they could say, well, here's how we dealt with that challenge. And anyway, that's my very long-winded way of telling you. I started kind of campaigning then in the area for for um, for improvements, particularly around education. And there was a brand new secondary school being built near where I live, Gilcool. And uh, we started campaigning to get an autism facility within that school, one of the first in the country. And we started meeting politicians and we started asking them to do things. And as well as I was kind of becoming political without even realizing it. And I remember meeting Enda Kenny. And uh, he was he wasn't the Taoiseach at the time, he was the leader of the opposition. And he he said he was meeting disability groups and he kind of said to a younger Simon Harris, he said, you can continue to give out about politicians or give out about the system or you can get involved and you can try to make a difference. And that's that's kind of how I got plunged in. And then a couple of years later, ran for the council, got elected to the doll, and yeah, off we go. Jesus, because like a lot of people, I suppose, because you're a couple of years younger than me, but like we would, you'd have all these ideas, great big ideas. And you're like, I'd love to change this, that and the other. But politicians always seem in their 60s. So especially when you're growing up, you know, you're a teenager, yeah. 50s, 60s, you don't see someone young. You know yeah. what I mean? So even if they do, I suppose there's somebody out there speaking out, they're probably not a politician. They're probably just like a charity worker or something like that. So it's kind of rare enough. Yeah, though maybe a little less than it was, but but yeah, and I mean, I I think it's always, it's it's I suppose the point I'm trying to make is it's down to circumstance, right? So my mom had no real interest in politics. My dad had no real interest in politics. Like they're interested in their community and, yeah. you know, and they're involved in different things in their community, but they weren't political and they certainly weren't aligned to a political party. But then you know, something knocks on your door and as a family or as an individual, you say, well, geez, I want to do something about that. And it's funny when I, when I go into schools now, I get invited into a lot of schools and, you know, you're talking to young people in the class and you say to them, you say, you know, has anyone here in the class got an interest in politics? And most of them sit on their hands. Yeah. Uh, the odd one puts up their hand to make you feel better. Uh, and then you say, OK, that's grand. So you're looking at this kind of room with very few hands up. And then you say, well, you know, is anybody here interested in, you know, whether you'll be able to go to college when you leave school and hands go up? And then you say, well, is anyone here interested in like how we protect the planet that's, you know, on fire in many ways at the moment as a big crisis, more hands go up? Or how do we help people in uh, poorer countries? Hands go up. Or do you care about whether you, you'll be able to buy a house when your hands go up? Uh, and I was like, that's what politics is. But you see, it's about addressing all of those issues. But you're right. All too often we think in politics. And this is this is all our fault. We think in politics that it's about generally men, generally men of a certain age in grey suits shouting and roaring at each other across the chamber. Yeah. And that's the snippet you see on the six o'clock news. But actually politics is about. So people say, oh, young people don't care about politics. Well, they actually do. They really care about issues. But they just don't give a damn about the nonsense and the punch and duty stuff that goes on in the dog from time to time. And that's understandable. And I suppose my job and the job of everybody in politics is to actually explain to young people, well, it's if you care about something and really want to make change, one of the ways you can make change, there's lots of ways, one of the ways you can make change is to get involved in politics. And you might think you're not interested in politics, but whether you're interested in it or not, it is interested in you for your entire life so you may as well be well informed about it but for me it, it happened by accident I suppose is what I'm saying um, it happened by by circumstance and uh, I always have to try and remind myself of that that's the reason I got involved and you know never to kind of forget that either it must have been hard growing up I suppose at a time when you have a brother who's got autism where it's not like now it's not so easy like a lot of us know symptoms or the different you know you might know someone who has it or even though it, each case is very very different yeah so, 
you know a little bit about it. Like I've got a friend who teaches in an autism unit. So I do know bits. Now I wouldn't yeah. know how to handle it myself unless I came to my door, as you say. But mm. at a time when Adam, you know, was born and, you know, I'm guessing the diagnosis take, took longer back then than it did now. And that yeah. yeah, no, look, it was really hard and it was really beneficial. Mm. Uh, like, so I, I am I am a better person because I have, because Adam is my brother. Mm-hmm. And I also have benefited from growing up in a house with somebody who had uh, additional needs or special needs. And my brother is a million times more intelligent than me. Um, I remember him, I remember like when I was doing my, my junior search. So I don't know what age he would have been, maybe eight or nine. Like I remember him being able to tell me like everything about like Daniel O'Connell and everything in the history. <laughs> he was so bright. He could just absorb so much information. And uh, yeah, he was definitely the brighter one in our, in our family. But then there were, so that was sort of like the benefits of having an amazing brother who's so loving is one of my best friends. All of those things is great. And, and it gave me a perspective on life that I think helps. But then I suppose the challenge was you're, you're eight or you're nine or you're 10 and you have a brother um, who's a bit different. Um, and, you know, you're in the supermarket and you can hear unkind words, you know, of, oh, can somebody not just, you know, get that bull child under control? And you know that child's not, you know, not a bull child, you know, they have special needs. Or, or you know, you have an older relative who not through any harm and not meaning it out of any badness, but will say things like, ah, sure, there's nothing wrong with him, sure he's grand. And, and sure, of course, there is nothing wrong with him, but he does have additional needs. And because autism, not always, but for a lot of people with autism, the disability can be somewhat hidden. Yeah. Um, so it's not as obvious to somebody if they meet someone in the supermarket or the likes. And, you know, it's, you know, we'd go on, we'd go on family holidays and, you know, the best planned day wouldn't be able to happen because my brother would have a meltdown, um, which is a phrase he'd use. I'm not sure if it's a politically correct phrase, but it's a phrase everybody used in my family, you know, that everything would just get too much. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was interesting. A lot, a lot less was, a lot less was, was known about it at the time. And I suppose your parents are always trying to, to juggle because so much of their time is has to be consumed looking after this little bundle of joy that's arrived in your house that the youngest child who now has additional needs and they're trying to balance that and also look after myself and my sister and so but but like we I think all I mean we all without a shadow of a doubt uh feel the better for the experience we went through but yeah it was it was it was an interesting way of growing up. Did you get into any fights on his behalf when you were younger? Um I'm sure I did. I, I can't I can't think of one but I mean I I, I I, I certainly would have been, yeah. I mean, I, I, I certainly would have been. I, I remember being. I remember going to these summer camps. Um, I remember going to these summer camps that they used to organise for siblings of children with autism and stuff. And I used to always feel, I don't know, I used to always feel that they were kind of they were nearly there expecting you to say something bad about your brother, sort of thing. Like, tell us how tough it is having your brother. And I'd, yeah. I, I'd, I'd, I'd always been really aggrieved by it and say, no, I'm like, geez, we we love having Adam as our brother. So yeah, it was. You're always you're always a little bit more a little bit more protective, I suppose. Um, Oh, and I suppose maybe a little bit closer as a family as a result. Adam's great though, like because he's so vocal and he's such a good advocate. Like he's really, with everything he's done with As I Am and, you know, he's on, you know, you see him on TV and he, he can express it in a way that makes it kind of, it doesn't seem technical or anything like that. Like you kind of get an idea of what he's trying to say and what it's like. I look, I'm so proud of him. Like I'm so proud of him and I'm so proud of him because it's great to see him so happy in himself and happy with what he is doing and sharing his experiences. And, you know, I know, you know, everyone sees Adam now and he's articulate and he's amazing and he's a super advocate. Um, But like, I know how, I know how many difficulties and challenges he had to go through to get himself to where he is. And, um, you know, that, that, that makes me even, even more proud. Yeah, I suppose because we see him now and there's probably a lot of people who associate autism with, you know, people who are nonverbal and they think, oh, well, Adam, and because he's, as you said, he's so intelligent, they're probably thinking, oh, sure, Jesus, he's not that bad. But he's obviously had to overcome a lot to be able to be in the social circumstances he's had to be in and put himself out there and, you know. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, people would, I mean, it's it's a different way of looking at the world in many ways as well. I I often wonder with a lot of disabilities, how, how much do we as a society make somebody, you know, how much do we add to that disability by actually, you know, just refusing to make the world a little bit different or, you know, actually adapt the world that little bit because, you know, there's so many people with, I mean, people with disabilities make such a massive contribution, of course, to all aspects of our life. And, you know, when I look at Adam, like it was just literally small tweaks in our house 
and small tweaks here, there and everywhere could make a substantial difference. So I often wonder, you know, how much is uh, how much how much of the responsibility is actually on us as a society to actually just change the way we do things that little bit. Um, and we can all benefit from, you know, I mean, there's like there's, you know, the, I was in a I was in a college the other day and like we were in a room, a sensory room. And, you know, it's a sensory room for people with autism where if everything's getting a bit too much. They can just go in for a few minutes, shut the door and benefit. But I'm thinking and that benefits people with autism. But couldn't we all benefit from that as well? So, you know, something that's making the world, making these few changes in the world for people with autism can actually benefit broader society as well, I guess. Oh, my God. I would have loved that if there was a place you could just go in and be like really, really quiet. Oh, it's very nice. No, it's really so let's talk yeah, it was, it was lovely. I could have stayed there all day. <laughs> I know for a while. So you, Adam was your kind of driving force. You got mm-hmm. into, as you mentioned, council. How does that go from like, right, I'm after setting up these camps and, you know, I'm, I've got the idea, like I'm driving behind autism and better awareness and stuff. And now I'm like, how do I get myself to the doll? <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, it's a really weird, it's a really weird kind of career in the sense that you got to like, you got to put your picture up on posters in your community amongst your neighbors and your friends. And you got to go around and say, hey, lads, any chance you give me a vote? Like it's it's a very peculiar thing to do, to have to kind of ask all your family, friends, neighbors, community, people you went to school with, listen, would you vote for me to go to the doll sort of thing? But it's, um, yeah. And like I say, it was kind of, it was a very new experience (laughs) for my family and for my friends who had no interest in politics, but like, but like everything, I suppose people just get kind of stuck in if they, if you know, they kind of, they kind of went, they kind of went with it, and we had a bit of crack along the, uh, along the way, kind of campaigning, and you know, it's great. It makes it always makes it a bit easier if it's with your, with your friends and and people you like spending time, time with as well. And then I suppose when you, when you're lucky enough to get into the doll, you got to realize it's that, it's that big move from kind of. You know, when you're working in your local community and you're kind of getting things done, and then you get in the door and you realize, geez, change doesn't happen that fast. So, like, I can't boil the ocean. What, what, what one or two things do I want to get done this year that'll make a real difference? And what two or three things do I want to get done next year? And that's maybe one of the biggest kind of shocks when you first get involved in politics that you have to kind of you have to kind of pick your battles and say, well, what actually can we get over the line this year? And um, yeah, that takes a bit of adjusting. I always think that when I get election things in the door, you know, you know, and all these promises and everybody's making, you know, millions of promises mm-hmm. in the world. And I'm like, pick one, just pick one and just say, <laughs> even on the leaflet, I could promise you 50 million things, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to build 50,000 houses in four years or whatever it is. But yeah. like the idea, it feels like, you know, sometimes they're putting down nearly every single thing to think that every single issue that's wrong in society and you're like you're not going to get all these done the money's not there the, you have to go through so many bills and all that to get yeah no it's, it's weird and I, I think i think you're kind of right and we're all guilty of that i suppose but in i mean it's it's weird in, in politics like i've been involved in some pretty kind of big moments over the last few years whether it's covid and and, and obviously the abortion referendum and there's lots of things that i'm really proud i was involved in but some of the things that some of the things that most stick with me are the small things um that didn't make the news but that I know made a big difference. So like one thing, for example, was cystic fibrosis. So I remember my sister, uh, Gemma, had a really, really good, really, really good friend um, called Leslie Ann with cystic fibrosis and poor Leslie Ann passed away. And it's always, you know, uh, to this day, my, my sister always remembers like one of our closest uh, friends growing up, even though, you know, we're maybe we're many, many, year, many years on now. But I always remember how people with cystic fibrosis uh, in Ireland were having to, to fight to improve their outcomes, fight to improve their facilities. And there was a big, big campaign when I, elect, when I was made Minister for Health to get access to this new drug called Orcambi. And this was a drug that many people believed could change the lives of people with cystic fibrosis and a lot of resistance to getting it over the line. It was expensive, et cetera. So it went on forever. Anyway, we got it. We got it done, right? And that's great. And it was bought. And then, you know, years later now, like when I'm walking around town now, uh, you know, not that long ago, I met a man in a van, a genuine story, you know, and the man in the van pulled down the window, called me yeah. over. He said, listen, I'm on with, I'm on or can be. I haven't been in hospital with cystic fibrosis. I got or can be. It's changed my life. I was on a plane back before all the all the lockdowns and I remember I remember grandparents coming up to me on the plane and saying just want to say thanks for that our, our I think it was their grandson is now is now on our camp I know, I know a guy in Greystones uh, a little boy since he started going on these or can be drugs really really changed his life as well hasn't ended up in hospital so like I'm saying like they're not the things there won't be a prime time special on that tonight it won't be on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow but it was actually something that 
I got a chance to be involved in in politics that I know made a difference to lots of people. And when you meet those real people, uh, you know, not kind of statistics or numbers or pie charts, but actual real human beings that in your community, in your country, who are taking those drugs, you're like, yeah, that, that's what it's about, you know. And on the bad days and the difficult days, of which there are many when you're in politics, because not everything goes right, um, they're the sort of things that, that keep you going. Yeah, because there, as you say, there aren't all great days and there could be something you have campaigned for for six years and it's still like we look at like Noel Rock is out of the doll now and look how long he was campaigning for the ticket to out and build, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You could be out and working in a new career and it eventually goes through or, you know, there's things that have fallen by the wayside that go to a certain point and just don't go any further. And it's a lot on your brain to kind of go. I've put so much thought into that. So to have the small wins as well as the big wins, obviously, but the small yeah. wins sometimes can be just what needs to keep you ticking over. I think it was, I'm probably going to quote the wrong US president, but I think it was Harry Truman said, you can achieve whatever you want in politics once you don't care who gets the credit for it. And it's kind of true because you used the No Rock example there, like No yeah. Rock champion that ticket Titan bill with a few others. He wasn't there by the time it got over the line, but it wouldn't have happened without him. Oh. So you kind of have to, you kind of have to, Except it's not easy. Like we're all humans, we all we all want to be there. We all get it done, you know. And, but at the same time, like you have to kind of accept the things you're doing now, whether you're a TD or a minister or whatever. You might get to start something now, but you might get to finish it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you just got to make every day count and 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 know that it will make a difference. And for you, I suppose, even though you no longer are minister for health. Yeah. Like I swear people come to you quicker than they come to Stephen Donnelly sometimes because especially you know they're before winter let's say when covid was back with a bang and you know we're coming to lockdowns and stuff and like you turn on morning ireland and it would be you talking it wouldn't be the minister for health and you know that kind of way looks i feel like a lot of people still come to you as a minister for health well, look, well I'm, I'm obviously not the minister for health right? <laughs> yeah. and Stephen donnelly is the minister for health but i guess when you were the minister for health for four and a half years which is a pretty long time i think i was one of the longest ministers for health that the country's had now mary harney was there a lot longer than me but i, I think i think i was one of the longest and I suppose it takes takes time for people to go, oh yeah, that's not him anymore. That's the other lad, you know? And that, so there's a bit of an adjustment period, but also people, I suppose, once you were there, particularly during something like COVID, which, you know, maybe people had got used to me kind of talking to them about COVID and the likes, and there was a degree of kind of, you know, people want to continue to ask about COVID and also me being happy to continue to talk about it because mm-hmm. um, because I suppose I, I, I'd been eating, breathing and sleeping it in terms of um, working away in the department and the likes. So yeah, it, uh, I suppose it's an adjustment when you, when you come out of health, particularly when you've been working so intensively at a thing like COVID. Like that was, COVID's not like any other issue I'm ever going to work on again in my entire life. Touch wood, I hope, right? Because no one ever wants to see. <laughs> Please God. I'm touching all, all the wood here. No one ever wants to see an issue like that, like that again. But like that's the intensity of that um, is, is just so unusual. It's not like just kind of some part of a, of a regular job. It was it was a very kind of particular situation. And I suppose during that time I got, and again, this happened by accident, but I just started kind of talking to people directly through social media and just trying to kind of level with them and tell them, like, I'm not a doctor. I was trying to tell them what I knew, what I was learning, what I'd heard that day, what I thought they needed to do and stuff, and maybe built up a connection with some people through that time. Um, and it kind of, it kind of you know, it was, it was such an odd time for everybody. I suppose everybody was looking for information they could get kind of anywhere. The people were scared. People were worried. Everyone was worried. So it was, um, so I just started kind of talking a lot to people and I'd go on whatever Twitter live or Instagram in the evening and just say, well, here's where we're at today or whatever. And yeah, I suppose probably built up a, like I said, connection with lots of people talking about COVID morning, noon and night uh, for a long period of time. I think people like that though. Like something that I have, I did hear a lot at the time was people were tuning into those Instagram lives and stuff because it made it feel more approachable that like you're not sitting down at nine o'clock to watch the news or the six o'clock news. And it's like, deaths, dum, 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 bad news. And every item on the news was bad news and stuff. Whereas you kind of sought this out and went, right, sum it up for me today. And because it's on your social media, I suppose there's a bit more of it. Like you might be sitting at home, you don't have the tie on, you know, yeah. you're not in the doll doing it. You're kind of, you're at home or wherever you are. And you're also speaking to them, like looking into a camera. You're not yeah. talking no, to Brent Dobson or something, you know? 
I mean, the thing I learned really about kind of communications and politics and people and everything is if we can just dispense with all the kind of the wiffle waffle we go on in politics and the jargon. And I, I'm sure I do it all the time because you're getting brief notes and you're reading stuff. But actually, if you just look down the camera and tell people what you know about the situation, you won't always get it right, but just share information with people. And what the thing about the, the thing about social media that was interesting was people would start asking you questions back. So they'd start saying, well, what does that mean for, you know, school kids or they start saying well will you talk to will you talk to the children as well they're very worried so we actually try and try and explain to children what's going on here and, and we try and do specific you know i remember doing a couple of kind of questions and answers for for kids where you invite them to submit their questions because it's a terrifying time for them you know like they were hearing all this doom and gloom on the news it was 24 7 they were missing their friends the schools were shut down they couldn't see their grandparents um and and, and i suppose you were just trying to you're just trying to to level with people and talk and, and talk to them directly, but but there's a lesson for us as politicians in that, and I hope one, I hope you know th- that way of communicating, just talking directly to people and telling them it as it is, dispensing with the bull, not overly worrying about your rooms and your ass and whether you trip over your words, but just just having a conversation. I, I think it works. I'm going to try and do more of it. I've seen, um, I think think you started a movement. You probably noticed that yourself. Like I remember seeing on Twitter, Michal Martin did one of those, you know, sitting at home on the couch doing a video. And you, you know what? They're young, especially young people are more likely to watch that than they are to sit down at nine o'clock and watch the news. Like, do you know what I mean? They're- well, that's the other thing. Like people ridicule me and, you know, for, for well, what are you doing with TikTok and all that? I don't know what I'm doing on TikTok after that. <laughs> but what I do know is, is a hell of a lot of people, particularly in my, in my role now in terms of students and college and all that, there's a hell of a lot of people. That's where they're going to get their information mm-hmm. and we have to stop this kind of i don't know out of date view that we have that yet you know yeah you can only talk to people on certain kind of platforms or politician ministers should only go on the nine o'clock news or something like all those things are important too and we do all of them as well but like you actually got to recognize the world is changing here people are getting information 24 7 on their smartphone on their ipad on their laptop um on their apple watch whatever like people are getting information all the time and you got to be there and if you're not there if you're not there talking about the issues, all you're actually doing is leaving a big vacuum that can often be filled with like misinformation and disinformation, particularly around things like vaccines. And I suppose as well, the other side of it is that older people who are the ones who are watching the news and listening to Morning Ireland, that a lot of them are, they follow parties. Whereas like young people like me might follow a politician, you know, mm-hmm. like I voted for all different parties throughout the years, you know, especially in your locality, because, you know, yeah. this person does something really well for the town and you're not looking because they're Fine Gael, Sinn Féin, whoever. Yeah. You're going, well, this person did something for me that benefits me, etc., or, you know, like that kind of stuff. So I suppose that's the difference as well between the ages, that it's not all party politics. It's No, but yeah, it's, it's much, I mean, people are, I think, you know, it's it's a healthy thing in a democracy. This idea of that's a Fine Gael house, that's a Fine Gael house, that's a Sinn Féin house, yeah. no point knocking on that door, they always... Like, I think the world is moving on now and people are looking and they're saying, well, where does this person stand on this issue? Because this issue, whatever it is, and it'd be different for different people, this issue is really important to me. Where do they stand on this issue? And I think more and more, I could be wrong, but my sense is more and more politics in Ireland and probably around the world is going to become um, issue-based. You know, you're going to have less blind loyalty to political parties and more, well, hang on a second, who can come up with the best solutions to, to address the issues we're facing? And that's a good thing. It puts it puts us politicians under more pressure, but it's good because you don't get stale. You can't take people for granted. Um, you can't just say, oh, they vote for me because they always vote for me. That, those days are going. Um, mm-hmm. There'll always be some people who'll be loyal, you know, and members yeah. of the party, and that's great. But there'll also be people who, you know, more and more people will be looking at the issues and they'll want to know well, what's important to me, what's important to my family, what's important to my community, and who has the best plan to fix it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, that's, well, that's me. And I'm sure, there, as you said, there's people who are I'm forever staunch shinners mm. and staunch, Miguel, blah, blah, blah. But like, I do think that God help anyone when they're in power if they get health or housing because they're the two areas you just can't fix very easily. So, like, when you got health, you must be like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I was, I was really, <laughs> I'm very surprised, but I'm one of those, I'm one of those odd people. I loved being health minister. Um, and and I and, and why I suppose you might say well like why would you love being health minister as opposed to a different minister when you know there's always extra challenges and crisis because I saw every single day I saw like loads of really good things happen so yes you'd rightly be and this is not a criticism and it's not a poor me or anything like that it's it's your job I'd rightly be grilled over the things that go wrong and that's hundred percent right but. But like, I'd also be aware of the fact that there were some of the most amazing people working flat out to bring about 
you know, really good changes on really important issues. And, and that kind of, like I said, that, that kind of keeps you going. And, you know, like you don't, you don't get involved in politics to have a quiet life. Like if that's what you want to do something else, like, you know, if you're going to get involved and you want to make a difference, like don't, don't try away from the hard stuff. It's just like health is one of those things that you're never going to not have any sick people or you're never going to be paying the nurses and the doctors enough. You know what I mean? There's always going to be an argument there in that sense. Like civil servants are always never going to be paid as enough, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's not like the hospitals are ever going to be empty. You know, you're not going to have a day. But I always found people were more, I always found the public were much more, I suppose the public, the public get it much more maybe than sometimes we do in politics or in the media. Like they understand the fact that every single day so many people go into the hospitals have a great experience and they understand that every single day, you know, people are getting made better from diseases that they would have died of uh, a number of years ago, that life expectancy in our country is getting longer and longer. That's a really, really good thing. But it also now means we need to come up with a whole lot of solutions. How do we help people age? How do we look after them better? You know, how do you reform nursing homes? How do you make people grow old in their own homes? So the successes of medicine create new challenges, but they're, they're opportunities. They're great challenges to have. And I always thought people, you know, for every, and, and it's not to in any way defend things, things to go wrong, but for everything that goes wrong, there's, you know, there's 20 people who can say they had a good experience too. So, yeah. And I always thought the public got that, you know, they knew it wasn't, I don't think the public would ever buy, they, they, they'd see through the spin of some politicians says, ah, there's just these three things. And if I do these three things, everything will be magically perfectly well in health. But health, health is really complex. Um because it's all about people and looking after people and looking after their health and 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 that a lot of complexity and all of those things. But I, I always thought the public got that. And they're rightly things happened that they didn't like and they'd let you know about it and they were dead right to. But at the same time, I always felt I always felt I always feel Irish people are very fair and reasonable. And I always felt I got a fair, I got a fair hearing from them. And uh, how was your fair hearing from, you know, your family? Because like you were very obviously uh throughout your health and Time's happening, so you had the repeal, and then of course, then COVID, and you had a, a wife and a, ch- a young child at the time where you were, especially during COVID times, that must have been really hard, where you actually can't go home and be around your child and stuff like that. Like that to me must have been so hard. Yeah, it, it was, but I always, but I always feel, I always feel out to be kind of, I, I, I never like to say I'm kind of self pitying in relation to this mm-hmm. because this was at a time where so many people were sacrificing so much and working so hard. So I was the Minister for Health, but you could say the exact same about the nurses and the doctors and the paramedics and the people working in the testing centres, but also the, the people who were the people who were working around the clock to keep food production going, working in the supermarkets, you know, the the, the other frontline here as well, the guards, all the help there. So like so yeah, it was a really tough time. It was a tough time for everybody in Ireland, I suppose. And I mean my my family um my family and I knew that we, you know, I, I signed up to do this. I had the support of my family to do it. And, you know, you're the health minister in the middle of a global pandemic. you got to give it all that you, you can possibly give. And that was just the approach we took. God, I just say, God help your wife, because I'm sure someday she was like, well, somebody check this child. And she was like, turn on the telly and there's John's father. And she's like, God. There's a well for him out there. Yeah, no, um, yeah well, we, we, we have a very, we have a very, we have a very good daughter. She's, uh, she's two and a half now and we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're blessed with her. She's uh, she's super. How does she, does she understand that there's a new baby coming or how does she? Yeah, she's excited. Um, she knows she's going to be a big sister. And uh, yeah, she's, uh, I think she's, she's ready for her role. But um, I suppose it'll be interesting to see when it all, when it all happens and, you know, how you go from juggling one to juggling two. Um, but we'll know now uh, in, in not, not too many weeks to go. And you know, you have to get the, uh, you have to get her a present from the baby because that's the whole thing now that you give the, the new baby gives the older baby a present. <laughs> yeah, I like usually find presents usually solve a lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot of the challenges. But uh, I know, look, I think it'll be, uh, it'll be exciting, and we're, we're looking forward, to, we're looking forward to it. And I'm hoping I'll get a chance to, to take a little bit of time uh, when that happens, because obviously I was health minister when when my daughter was born, and uh, you know, yeah, I, I tried to take some time off in terms of paternity leave, and uh, it was pretty. Um, it was a pretty busy time in health, and I didn't get to take um, the kind of protected time that I'd like to. And I'm really determined this time to do it to take paternity leave, and I'm determined to do it uh, for myself and my family. But I'm also determined to do it because I think it's really important. Um, I think it's really important that people in my in my visible role, I suppose, do that as well because I hope it'll encourage uh, encourage more people to do it. I mean, we talk. 
it's right and proper that we obviously talk a lot about um, maternity leave. It's absolutely right and proper. And we have a huge body of work that we need to do as a country on that. But I think it's also important that we talk about paternity leave, that we talk about parental leave, um, you know, and that we enable fathers um, to have that protected time as well so that um, so that they can obviously play the full role that they want to play too. And I, I think, you know, we're, we're only beginning to come to that conversation in Ireland. And I think we need to, I think, I think my generation, um, you know, my generation will expect, you know, that to be the way. Um, so we've made good progress on things like parental leave and stuff. But I, I think I think we don't talk enough about um, paternity leave and parental leave as well, as well as maternity leave. And it's very different, obviously, uh, the man and the woman. Um, I, I fully get that in terms of... Um, but they're both important. But they're both they're both important, and I think that's right. like the 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 mother needs you know if it is a say if it is a heterosexual couple the mother needs the the dad there to give her a hand to give her a break you know and also he needs the bonding time with the baby. Yeah, I, I think it's really important. Like this is not the you know this this is modern Ireland now. I mean, care responsibilities are more are more and more being divided rightly amongst amongst parents, and as you say, different families come in different shapes, different sizes, and I just think it's really important that our that all of our systems understand that as well that employers understand that um, and that's why I'm determined both for myself and my family but also also as, as somebody in a leadership position I think it's important um, it's important to take that time and, um, and and be proud that you're taking that time and, and not apologise for taking that time well, I suppose it was such a monumental thing when, you know, Helen McAtee took hers and it was mm. the first time ever, you know, for maternity leave. And then Absolutely. you see that. And then I suppose if anyone was having trouble in their job, in normal day job, they can go, well, look, the Minister for Justice has taken her time off. So I suppose if exactly. it is important to have someone going, doing the same thing. And as, as the politicians are getting younger, we will probably see more of that and stuff. But you know, there are dads out there who probably don't even know that they can have time off. Yeah. And then there's things like we've brought in in the last couple of years, things like parental leave, which can be divided between parents and mm. um, between the mom and the dad, the two moms, do whatever can be divided between parents and can be taken. You know, they don't need to be taken immediately when the child is born. Because sometimes what you might want to do is take that initial time. But actually, you know, when the child reaches, when the child gets a little bit older, you might say, well, I'd like to take a couple of weeks now. Um, and that might be needed for a whole variety of reasons. So I just think we need to, we need to, we need to get with the times in relation to this. I am genuinely proud of some of the work that's been done over the last while around increasing parental leave. I just think that when we, every time we talk about maternity leave, I think we should also talk about paternity leave. We should be talking about parental leave and what works what works for the individual family. Uh, because as we said, families come in different shapes and sizes and our systems need to be flexible uh, enough to understand that. And people need to see that, yes, you can be a government minister. And in the case of my colleague, Helen, you know, take, take your maternity leave or in the case of myself, uh, take your paternity leave. And, uh, and the world continues to rotate in its axis. Yeah. You take that time and then you come back to work and pick up where you left off. But it is a case of also that you are normal people and you are having a child. So, that, yeah. you know, there's going to be a new baby, you know, when the baby's going to be crying. And, exactly. You know, there's going to be another child there that wants attention and you and you don't want to be like, oh, I can't because I'm working all the time. And, you know, and you, as you said, you were a minister for health the first time. So that was very hard. So to come home, this is going to be a different experience for you. Yeah, no, like I say, I'm determined to, I'm determined to take it and uh, yeah, looking forward to looking forward to taking it and hoping we can continue to make changes because some of the changes we've had to make, you know, have been kind of ad hoc. So an arrangement was found from, um, was rightly found from, from my colleague, um, from my colleague Helen, and that's been brilliant, but, uh, but I know she'd be the first to say, and others have said as well, that, you know, it's important we find uh, solutions that, that can just be in place, you know, forevermore. And if that takes a referendum or whatever else, let's do that too. Like I think this country has, this country's moved on an awful lot. We just need to make sure that we continue to make improvements when it comes to maternity care, maternity services, paternity leave, parental leave. You know, and we've we, we've we've a journey that's not yet complete in relation to that. And child childcare being another issue, you know. So I mean, I think I think more and more we need to start talking about these issues. I think they're really important socially for you. I think they're also important economically. It's the future of our country. We got to get it right. Yeah, and like I don't know how you wouldn't burn out anyway, because you know you don't really get many holidays in when you're a politician, because normally when you have a holiday, something drastic happens and has to be recalled. And I did tweet about this a few weeks ago. I know there was, I think it was around the time of the captions of opening and how everybody, you know, all the political journalists were at the time on Twitter going why is no one answering the phone and I just remember tweeting at the time going if you rang me on my holidays about something to do at work you can guarantee that I'm not picking up that phone now I get that my job is very different but in the same sense like get a, a comment 
from somebody and that's fine but they shouldn't you shouldn't have to always be on call as well in the same sense yeah look i mean politicians were you know we're well paid we know what we're signing up for and and all of that's absolutely true i just think when it comes to wanting to attract good people into politics in the future i think we just have to look at how we can make political life that little bit more family friendly um I, i think that's i think that's kind of a conversation so like things around the doll you know the doll sitting until one or two in the morning i never understand that no. You know, to me, that just, I mean, obviously, if there's an emergency and the dollar is to one or two in the morning, but like, just good planning could fix that. Yeah. <laughs> just like, earlier. It's, not, it's, it's, it's kind of like this macho idea of, oh, we better sit late in the doll. Oh, we were there till three o'clock in the morning. Like, my constituents don't give a damn once the work gets done. Yeah. So, like, just get the work done. And, like, as you say, come in earlier, have the doll start at eight o'clock in the morning or night. Now, look, and other people will say, oh, you're down the country. That doesn't work for them. I'm not saying there's easy solutions, but there have to be solutions. Um, because we talk a lot about, oh, family friendly doll and stuff, but it hasn't happened yet. No, and I suppose now the good thing about COVID is that going forward, when things return, as we keep everything's like every, every last eighteen months, when things go back to normal. Um, but the thing is that if you are down in Cork and you, you know, are a politician who doesn't want to drive to Dublin for the day, potentially yeah. there till four o'clock in the morning and have to turn around and come back home, virtually you can be there. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think beyond politics, I think I think one of the hopefully one of the really good things that's come. From it's hard to find anything really good that's come from COVID, but hopefully something good that has come from the most difficult time is that I think we will be able to, as a people, live in a little bit of a different way. So, you know, I see my friends now, some of my friends now are saying, well, geez, maybe I can live that a little further, a little bit further away from the office now because I mightn't have to be in the office five days a week. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind doing the commute if it's two or three days a week. Um, that all of a sudden might open up options in terms of um, in terms of housing and being able to live that further, a little bit further away from the cities and the big towns. Um, you know, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe like more and more the employer, whoever they are, will care less about what rigid hours I worked and more about well did they get the work done and that will help that will help a lot of people in terms of you know being able to you know we, we shouldn't live to work yeah. <laughs> you know like the, and making sure that you can work and people can work really really hard but at the same time they can work in a way that fits well with their life and um, I think that might be one of the good things that can come out so I hope you know I, I'm really looking forward to us going back to inverted commas normal in so many ways but I hope on a couple of these areas um including look the area of responsibility for in government now, like third level education, lots and lots and lots and lots of students obviously want to get back to college campuses and we're getting them back to college campuses. Absolutely. And that's really important. But if you're, I'm making these ages up, but if you're 40 and you've got a full-time job and kids and a mortgage, you're not looking to go to college for freshers week and the crack and the school leaders up for, you're just saying, well, look, geez, I really want to get that degree. And actually the way that works for me is being able to take the laptop out in the evening and and be able to access my lectures online. So like, I think we got to learn some of the flexibilities and some of the use of technology has actually enabled some people to maybe work in a way that they mightn't have otherwise been able to work, maybe even get education in a way that they mightn't have otherwise been easily easy to get it. And maybe that'll be one of the, the good things to come out of the last uh, period of time. Is that your kind of hope that, you know, colleges will accept a hybrid that you don't have to be? So like there will be people who will be dying to get in, especially first years to meet people and stuff. But also there'll be an option that they could maybe do some of it online or do all of it online, depending on their circumstance. Yeah, so I mean, my, my first immediate priority is to get the college campuses reopen and get people back to college because this is a huge body of work. There's about a quarter of a million people in Irish colleges across the country and college life is not just about the lectures. It's not just about the education. It's about the socialising. It's about the development of the person. It's about the clubs. It's about the crack. And people, particularly young people, have missed that so much for the last period of time. So first priority is get people back to college campuses. And we're going to do that and we're going to do it in September. Um but I think the next part of the conversation then has to be students aren't all 18, 19, 20, 21. They're not all school leavers. Some people are looking for a different experience. They're looking to be able to access education in a way that works for them and that comes closer to their home, be it in a remote working hub, be it, you know, in the, in the box room of their, of their, of their house mm-hmm. on, the, on the laptop. And what I'm encouraging the colleges to do is provide more courses that way. So get, get students, so just so that I'm not in any way confusing, I'm getting students full-time back to college is the priority mm. but actually at the same time saying well for students who that doesn't work with what, what, how else can we reform the education system and provide more stuff in a flexible way so people can do it part-time online in addition to that and um, you know colleges are going to want to be having conversations with us about how we fund the sector better and we're going to have to fund it better but we're going to have a list of things we're going to want to talk to them about and part of that will be how they're going to reform the way they deliver education so it's more flexible so that it works for people because not every student is 
a school leaver looking to move to the big city for four years um, for the full experience, more and more people are going to be doing what we call lifelong learning, you know, wanting to dip in and out of education to pick up a skill or a piece of a module or a piece of a course that they need um, to get to where they want to get to or to get to where they next want to get to in their career. Yeah. And like there's some people who don't want to do college at all. I know you've been pushing for a lot of apprenticeships and that kind of stuff. And then there's, of course, the sanctuary learners who are coming from, you know, direct provision or whatever, and yeah. they need to learn at a different speed, maybe to kick to than people who are English as their first language as well. Yeah, look, I'm very proud of some of the changes we've made in Ireland in recent years about being making sure that people in well, I'd be I'd be prouder if we could get rid of direct provision. To be honest, that has to be the priority. But while we're while we're while we're beginning to do that and it's a commitment where you're doing it I want to make sure that people in direct provision aren't having to wait for that to happen before they can access education so we've made a number of changes to make sure more and more people can access financial supports um, to get into college and there's more changes that I want to do um, in, in that area because I, I think I think that's who we are as a people. You know, we want people to come to our who come to our country um, to be welcome, but also not just to be not just to be existing in our country, mm-hmm. to be able to get on with their lives, pursue their dreams. And you know, there's so many people who come from uh, shores further than here who are, you know, have so much of a role to play and do. And indeed, back to our health service, so many people in our health service, doctors, nurses, mm-hmm. surgeons, uh, healthcare assistants, um, who've come from abroad. So how, how do we support, how do we do more to support those people be involved in our education sector? And we're, we're working a bit on that. Also on the apprenticeships piece, I feel really strongly about this. Like we, we put massive pressure on 17 year olds to kind of decide what they want to do with the rest of their lives. There's this points race pressure. What are you putting on the CAO form? What are you going to put on it? How many points will it be this year? And I think we convince ourselves this is normal. It's not. Lots of other countries do different things. This is just a thing we've developed in our country over the last number of years and we need to change it. So I want to basically, I want to replace I'm going to replace effectively the CAO form with a form that shows the student all of their options. You know, yes, you might want to go to college. Great. Here's how you do it. But also you might want to you might want to do a year in a PLC course and try out a few things. Check what you want to do. You don't have to have your life all wrapped up in a in a bow and sort it out by 17. I didn't like let's take your time and try out things. And then the other thing is the earn and learn model. Like you might want to be an apprentice. And when we talk about apprentices, everyone thinks that's about the trades. And we definitely need more people in trades. But like, do people know you can do a master's in engineering through an apprenticeship in Ireland? You can do a science degree through an apprenticeship in Ireland. It is third level. It's just a different way of doing it that you're getting the practical skills. And quite frankly, you're getting a bit of money in your pocket at the same time too. So we have to drop this kind of snobby, elitist attitude where we nearly ask kids, what college do they want to go to before we actually say, well, what do you want to do? What's your passion? And I think if we can change that conversation culturally, um, I think we'll I think we'll transform our, our education system, but also I think we'll reduce dropout rates and all of that as well because students won't feel that pressure. I must go here. I must go there. They'll they'll take the time. And what's the rush? Like I met a young guy and he um Jack and he got his first place in college, his first place in the CEO, got exactly what he wanted, started the degree, hated it. <laughs> dropped out, went back to his local further education training centre, did a year in what they call a pre-law course, got to sample law, loves it, and now starts his law degree in Maynooth in September. Statistically, he's much more likely to complete that law degree because he took the time, tried it out, uh, tried out the pre-law, learned a bit about it before he plunged in. So, yeah, sorry for the rant, but there are a couple of other things I really want to... I totally get it because when I uh, put it, filled out my CEO, what I got off it was I got a a four-year marketing course with French. Now, I've got a C in honours French in my leaving cert, so it's not like I was flying, you know what I mean? (laughs) I wasn't exactly fluent. And I basically picked that course, I think that was like number, I don't know, six or seven on my, you know, lists of college, of course I wanted. But yeah. all of my friends were putting it down. So we all put it down and we ended up getting, three of us ended up getting it. Two of us dropped out. One of them wanted to be a teacher and just kind of did it because we were 17 and your friends are going to that college. So And like I dropped out because I wanted to do journalism. So like you do, like if you had all the things in front of you, you might have picked different things. Just but that for us was just like handy because it was just like, oh, I'll just throw that down because everybody else is. Yeah, and like I, I, I think that's very true. And I also think like what we've actually done is we've created skills shortages. So everyone knows we need to build way more houses in Ireland. Everyone also knows we need to retrofit all the houses for climate action that we've already built. We need to make them more energy efficient. But we also need, you know, those things don't happen by magic. You need people to do them. You need people to build the houses. You need people to retrofit the houses. And um, we're not training nearly enough people um, in those things because we've been maybe, you know, I won't pick one degree, but we've been pushing people towards doing a certain 
type of degree in a certain type of university rather than actually saying, no, as a society, we really value and we really need people to retrofit our homes. And, you know, if you get a qualification in this area, you'll never be without work. You know, there's be more work than you can ever get done and it'll be decent, well-paid jobs. So, yeah, I'm really excited. We're going to kick off a conversation now in the autumn about how we reform the CAO form, show people all of their options, broaden the range of options, promote apprenticeships, and and also how we kind of help students, the guidance counselors, parents, also work out where are the jobs of the future? You know, where are, because there's, there's a lot of change coming, like there's mm. artificial intelligence, robotics, you know, there'll be <laughs> machines doing something, and there could be a, a machine minister soon, but there could be, <laughs> you know, there could be some, some of the jobs we're doing today will, will in time be replaced by technology. So where actually are the job opportunities in the future? And I think there's a massive amount in the climate agenda, like being green, mm. being green and making our country green and saving our planet can actually also be really good for our economy and for people's jobs. We, maybe we haven't had enough of that conversation yet. Yeah, I know that's something I'm very passionate about. And obviously, you know, and you touched on like the likes of that and direct provision are things, two things I'm very passionate about. And I feel like yeah. they need to become, and at some point they need to become the main focus. But I think that everything else, with COVID going on, everything else kind of gets pushed to the background. And, we, you know, that kind of, I'm sure you feel the same in, in certain aspects that like, maybe, well, obviously, you know more than I do. Maybe there is conversations happening. No, I mean, I think, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I think, one of the huge challenges of COVID and it had to be this way in many ways, but the huge challenge of COVID was, oh, we've all been talking about morning and night is COVID. And there's so many other issues in our country that we need to challenge to need to fix. I do think though, and maybe, maybe this is idealistic, maybe it's even naive, but I do believe it. I do think if we can take the energy and the passion we've had as a country to pull together and get through COVID, and I'm not saying we've gotten everything right as a country, but we've gotten an awful lot right in my view. We've seen the best of our country We've seen the best of our public service. Maybe even we've seen the best of some politicians. And actually, if we take that energy now and say, okay, what next? How do we end direct provision? How do we really get serious about climate action? And I think on both fronts, you've seen moves in the last uh, in the last period of time. Like we just passed this massive law, the Climate Act, just before the summer. We're going to now start doing these carbon budgets. So you know, not this not this vague aspiration that you must reduce your carbon emissions every year. What are you going to do, Minister X, in your department to reduce carbon next uh, next year? And, and here's your target. And there's going to be legally binding uh, legally binding requirements under the Climate Act. So I think the people in this country. I, I think are going to come from COVID saying like, geez, we got through that. It was really tough, but how do we now, how do we make a bit of a better country to come from it? Because maybe we've reassessed what's important and what matters in life. Yeah, I think so. I think we've all sat down and, and had a lot of time to think. Um, yeah. We've all read the reports about the country start, you know, what's happening in the, in the world. And then of course we see things like, you know, Afghanistan again with the like refugee side of things. So we're all very passionate now about issues that maybe, people weren't or there was there was obviously people who were climate and, and uh, refugees but now we're we're more empathetic after what we've just gone through over the last year. yeah i think so i think so and i mean i think yeah, you mentioned afghanistan i mean it's it's just it's just beyond horrific what's happening there and like we can't all just wash our hands or tut tut about it or say isn't it terrible and watch the news and look at the news and then turn the news off we all have a responsibility even a small country like ireland um, to say, well, what can we do to help? Um, and I mean, one of the areas, without getting into the debate about the war in Afghanistan, I mean, one of the areas that it looks to me like there's been huge progress made in Afghanistan over the last number of years is education, particularly education for women and girls. And we cannot let we cannot let that slip back. I mean, I, I've been following on um, on social media the um, the Minister for Education in Afghanistan, and I'll be the first to admit I, I didn't know anything about her until recent recent days. And she just sounds to me, to me to be an amazing, amazing woman because she's still going to work and she's still sitting in her department, even though the Taliban are there, she's still turning up in work every day saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm determined that we keep making the progress we made in education. And of course, it's it's brilliant to see, and it's particularly brilliant to see that you have a, a female Minister for Education fighting so much to keep the progress that we made. And I think there's a duty on Ireland and there's a duty on the European Union, the whole world, to say, well, what can we do? We have universities here, we have colleges. How can we come together mm-hmm. uh, to help make sure that particularly women and women and girls from Afghanistan who started their education, but indeed everyone from Afghanistan can continue it. And um, we can't just, you know, we can't just kind of, the world can't turn a blind eye to this because no. it's, it's terrific. We're definitely learning a lot more. And um, that's, I suppose that's only a good thing as we become more aware of the world and everything like that. In terms of home, I suppose, before I let you go, I suppose from some from a very serious subject that is in the news to another subject that's in the news, two very different things, but I suppose definitely something that Irish people have been talking about. The big issue, the big one, Simon. When am I going to a concert? 
When I go to the concert again, okay? The last concert I saw was Lewis Capaldi on the Monday before Leo announced the two-week inverted commas lockdown. So that was Monday. Yeah. I think it was the 12th that Leo announced it when he was in Washington. So I would have been on the 9th of March yeah. last year. So, you know. So look, well, well, we all, we all, we all want to be able to go to concerts, live events, music, theatre, arts again definitely the people the people I'm and we and we and even from a mental health point of view I think it's so important mm-hmm. the people I'm the people I'm most thinking about are obviously all the people working in that sector yeah of course who are so dependent I'm getting back to work and eager to get back and obviously we're, we're hearing lots um, from them some very well-known names some less well-known names and what they're basically saying to us and it's not an unreasonable thing to say it's a perfectly reasonable thing to say is will you give us a plan give us a roadmap mm-hmm. give us a route back and what we're basically saying is by the end of this month we will have we will have that plan so I can't I can't today on the Tis Yourself podcast give come on Simon give me the exclusive never mind they're not listening I swear <laughs> I know my I know my colleague because I get in trouble sometimes when I do that stuff but I know my and I don't know I don't know it but but I know my colleague uh, Catherine Martin the Minister for Arts is working really hard on this and uh, we're going to have a plan and a roadmap so we can say to the sector, just like we've said to lots of other sectors, listen, here's here's the way back. Here's how we're going to get there. I think it's it's a statement of the obvious to say we need to get everyone back to school. We need to get everybody back to college. Uh, we need to get that education sector back up and running. There's a lot of there's a lot involved in that, and it's all going to obviously have to happen over the next literally, you know, schools start coming back at the end of this month, colleges start coming back uh, next month. So we got to get that done, and we got to get the plan published for what we're calling the live event sector. So. Um, I don't think it's that far away, though. I think you'll be, I think you'll be at a concert before, you know. I think you'll be at a concert maybe sooner than you think because I, I do think with the benefit of vaccines and what we're seeing in other countries around the world, um, I, it has to be possible. I mean, sorry, it is possible. It's entirely possible. We have to, you know, if we believe in vaccines, um, we got it. We got to, we got to let people start living again. And obviously, we've got to take personal responsibility and live in a way that's safe. I'm also a big believer in these in rapid tests, in antigen tests. Um, I'm, I've been using them in our in our own sector. We've I think nine different sites across colleges using them now. And again, it's it's not my department, so I don't want to interfere. But I mean, I certainly think rapid tests have a role to play. Like I wouldn't, I'm not sure, I'm sure you wouldn't mind taking it if you if you were, if you could either prove you were vaccinated or take a test or maybe even be vaccinated and take a test. I'm sure people would be up for doing this if it meant getting people back to work and the live event sector back up and running and getting people back to all the concerts and nights out and stuff that people miss and it's been a long time since they've been able to go so, I know and I feel end of, end of the month you just feel, month, the plan. Yeah. Sorry. I feel bad for them and you know they are out there mm-hmm. and I know Catherine Merton was coming out over the last few days and saying she was trying her best to get into committees and, but like wasn't invited in and God bless her she was coming out and really trying her hardest and I suppose there's a general feeling of is this being run by Netflix as opposed to being run by the government that they're the ones saying don't go to concerts and stuff yeah, no, Catherine Martin's a super minister and she's really passionate about this sector and works really hard at it. I mean, what, what we've all said from the Taoiseach down is we're going to have a plan by the end of the month, a roadmap, a route back. How do you open this sector up? And from my own conversations with some people working in this sector, that's what they want. They want to know that there is a plan, that they haven't been forgotten and, and here's how it's going to work. And I think once we have that, at least it's something for everyone really to, to pull together and make sure it happens. So, But I feel like COVID... I know we're not there yet. We have to get everyone fully vaccinated. We still have to be careful. We still have the Delta variant. There are still people sick in our country. But I do feel really optimistic that we're getting to a point now, thanks to vaccination and thanks to Irish people being so sound about getting vaccinated and taking that responsibility so seriously, that we're getting to a point where where I think we will be able to live alongside uh, COVID. It, 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 it may well still be here, but we can start getting on with lives. And we have to, be, like I say, be careful on, on all of that. But I think people are up for that. And people have learned an awful lot about the virus over the last while. I don't know how you're always optimistic, Simon. I tell you, you get some you, like between politicians and the abuse you guys get, and the hard knocks of like trying to, as you said before, the red tape and trying to get things done, and the long hours and not seeing your family for days and stuff. And yeah, you still seem to be the guy on Instagram that's like, "Hey guys, this is." <laughs> uh, I, I love it. If you love what you do, it's not like going to work. You know, I, I love. I, I, I feel very honored to have the job that I do and you just you give it your best and it's a job and you know you don't have it forever so work as hard as you can at it for as long as you have it and uh, yeah, it's all you can do even with the abuse you couldn't get me into that job Simon someone say one bad thing to me and I'll be in the corner crying uh, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be good at cutting through the bureaucracy and the red I don't think you'd be too tolerant of her 
I wouldn't, I would probably, yeah, I'd go through that stuff. But the minute someone would tweet something really mean about me, that'd be me. I'd be gone. I'd have to quit. <laughs> I know. Some, some days I feel like, some days, like we're all human and some days, yeah, some days, yeah, some days, you, some days it can hit a nerve and some days it can, uh, yeah, some days, you, some days can be worse than others. But at the same time, you just, like I say, you got to focus on what are we here for? What are we trying to get done? What difference do we want to make? And just, you know, keep that, keep that, the eye on that price. <laughs> Hope you have a good therapist. I love this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so thank you for giving me like well an hour and and the, and the, and the waiting period beforehand not at all thanks so much it's been great to chat have you got loads on there for the rest of the day or what's the crack I'm going into my office in Bray now to see how all my constituents are and what needs to be done but uh, now I'll be uh, being early enough night tonight hopefully oh fingers crossed no 2am no 2am exactly listen thanks so much Nick thanks so much I'll chat to you soon talk to you later see ya bye, bye. thanks a million bye that was my chat there with Minister Simon Harris, uh, my first politician on the podcast, hoping to get some more. I'd love to get some from different aspects of life. I do want to hear about people's lives behind the persona that we see, um, whether it's a celebrity or a politician or a musician or whatever it is. I do like to know what happens with them as a person, you know, seeing people as as people as opposed to what their job is um obviously the big things there are for me you know looking back was the direct provision you know looking at uh, the gig economy wanting to go back to concerts because like i'm still broken hearted by electric picnic and uh, you know I, I still have that weekend booked off work in the wildest of hopes that that would get to go ahead and also i'm meant to be going to see the podcast help us sex to my boss so in the sugar club so like Honestly, that better get going ahead. <laughs> I have to see Jordan Nort live in, per- in person, people. Come on. Um, yeah, no, there's a lot of things there we got to discuss. Also, talking about Simon away from being a minister. Um, you know, obviously, he talked a lot about being a dad there um, and about his brother, Adam. So they're all things that I find that are important. Um, I do think that a lot of time people forget that these people are actually human, especially when you look on top on Twitter and see some of the things that are being sent as at them. And I, my hope is to have a female politician on to talk about what it is like to be a woman in politics, because I did read an article about the abuse that some of them have been getting and how they're afraid to go to the police because they're afraid that people are going to think that they're just milking it for attention. And that actually just disgusts me that people might actually think that. And that's just like these these are women and they shouldn't be getting abuse in any job and that just horrified me so I do want to get a female politician on so if there's a woman that's listening and she's in politics come at me send me a message um, you can find me on Instagram this is everybody you can find me on Instagram it's uh, Tis Yourself and where I'm on Twitter which is Well Tis Yourself you can drop me a line on either of those obviously slide in the old DMs you can email me on welltisyourself at gmail.com um, or you can just find myself Nicola Barden on all the above um, on Instagram and Twitter and the whole lot and sure look I'm I have no idea who my guest is next week I haven't recorded it so you know pressure is on for me <laughs> and, uh, but if there is someone that you would like to hear do send suggestions in because sometimes my mind goes blank and I can't think of anybody at all so do send them on in and um, I'd love to hear from you I'd love to see what you think of the episode and I hope you all have a really nice weekend or day or wherever, whenever you are listening to this. And many thanks to Simon for um, listen, for taking part in this. And if you've enjoyed this and you've a bit of time in your hands or you have a podcast playlist, scroll back there. I think you might enjoy some of our older chats. Some are light, more lighter hearted. Some are, I get, talk about mental health. Some talk about, you know, addictions and stuff. So have a scroll. See if there anyone there you like. Add them to your playlist and hopefully you will get to listen to them and hopefully you'll enjoy. Anyway, I'm off. I'm off now. I'll chat to you soon. Good luck now. Schlange Bye, 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 bye.